uh, this morning. If you don't know me, my name is Tony. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's my privilege to be con- helping us continue in our series today that we're working our way through. This is the third one we're into out of about 15, I think, which we've called Truths That Transform. And the idea is that we're going to be looking at particular biblical truths that sometimes we just assume we all kind of, yeah, got, yeah, we know what that is. Maybe, maybe not. And in the hope that as these truths land for us through God's word and by the power of his spirit, they'll actually be effective in transforming and changing us. So today, I think, as, as you've already heard, we're going to be looking at the truth about sin. Uh, a little over a years ago, a famous writer and lay theologian by the name of G.K. Chesterton, Chesterton penned one of his famous lines in just two words. In just two words. World War I was about to erupt. And a London newspaper put out a call to answer this question. What is wrong with our world today? Can you imagine that? Place yourself at that period of time. You know, the, 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 the conflict around the globe is rising. World War I is just about to explode. And this question is being asked, no doubt, by lots of people. And the newspapers jump on board with it, probably like they still do with things. Chesterton didn't miss a beat in identifying the true source of the problem. In two words, he said, I am. What's wrong with our world today? I am. Now, his statement obviously reflect, reflects a particular view of the world, a view that the majority of those in that day would have understood, and a view that many would have held. You could say a Judeo Christian or biblical worldview of, of the world. But what about now? What would people say, do you think, to this question in our day? What would you say? What would our culture and society say, particularly Western culture? Maybe we'd have such answers as injustice or racism or inequality or sexual oppression or religion, etc., etc. With the rise of secular humanism, that is the belief in the last hundred years that there's this inherent goodness in us as humans, the answer most likely is not going to be like that of Chesterton's. So what is the problem? What is wrong with our world today? It's more than, cl- more than uh, clear than ever that a hundred years ago, more than a hundred years ago, that something is terribly wrong. You don't have to look very far to work that out. And even if you go through life trying to ignore the reality that's all over the globe, something's terribly wrong with our world. What is it? Well, this morning, as we continue our series, we're going to look at what God has to say about that question. What does he say the problem is? I think you'll agree it's pretty clear when you think about it that the answers we may come up, to that, come up with to that question don't seem to cut it. We've had millennia to come up with a clear answer to that question and a solution and we have categorically failed. So clearly I would conclude from that we need answers that we haven't come up with. Because ours aren't much chop. We need answers that are outside of us. We need answers from God. 
Now, over the last two weeks, as we've been working our way through this series, we've seen that God has not left us in the dark, that he has made himself known to us, that he's revealed things to us about him and about us and about his world, and that he's given us his authoritative and all-sufficient, life-giving, life-sustaining, life-explaining word. So why don't we open it? Genesis chapter 1. Verse 26 to 31, and then we're going to have another from Romans 3. There'll be a few passages this morning, most of all of which will be on the screen. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. God has created all his glorious creation, and then we get to this point in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning in the sixth the sixth day fast forward now to paul's writings in his letter to the romans romans chapter 1 verse 18 sorry romans chapter 3 and verse 9 paul's been speaking about the problem with humanity for a couple of chapters and he reaches this point In chapter 3, he says, What then are we Jews, that is the covenant people of God, any better off than those who are outside of that, the Gentiles or the Greeks? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks or non-Jews, are under sin. As it is written, no one is righteous. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Now we're in danger at this point of minimizing things and coming up with our own alternative answers to what God says. So let's pray that we don't do that and that we hear his word clearly. Father, we just come before you and we do acknowledge that we are dealing with a confronting topic this morning, a confronting truth. 
uh, that we will need to face and we, we're reluctant often to face it. But please help us to do so for your glory, that we may be truthful to you, that we may respond to your word clearly and that we may see Jesus even more clearly. We ask this in his name. Amen. So as you open the Bible, you are introduced to the good and glorious God. You're introduced to the Lord, heaven and earth, the sovereign creator of all things. And you're introduced to his breathtakingly beautiful and good creation. The heavens and the earth, the cosmos, night and day, land and sea. You're introduced to the God who then lavishly fills his creation with an abundance of life, plants and vegetation and trees bearing fruit on the earth, swarms of living creatures in the sea, flocks of birds in the sky, all kinds of living creatures on earth below, sun and moon and stars in the heavens above. This is how the Bible opens. Existence, reality explodes onto the pages of Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And then this good and gracious and glorious God makes humans, makes humanity, makes us in his own image and likeness. The pinnacle, if you like, of all he has made, the peak of his creative work is humanity created in his image and likeness and created to glorify and to enjoy him forever. Humanity that's given the high calling, and get this, the high calling to image or reflect the good and loving maker of the world in his world. And in the words of Louis Armstrong at this point, it truly is or was a beautiful world. But it didn't stay that way, did it? Something happened that changed everything. Something devastating took place that plunged God's good world into darkness. Something devastating that brought evil and death into God's good world. Something that has drastically impacted every sphere of life ever since. What could possibly be that devastating? What could possibly be that horrendous? Well, the Bible identifies it in one Three-letter word. Sin. Sin. Romans 5.12 puts it this way. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all people because all sinned. What's the Apostle Paul referring to there? He's referring to what we call the fall, the fall of humanity. Because in Genesis 3, after those beautiful two chapters, we see Adam and Eve reject their created purpose to image God in his world. And more than that, we see them rebelling against God in order to become like God. I don't know if you know the story, but the evil one tempted Eve and he says, if you take this fruit, you will be like God. And so the temptation they faced was to take the place of God in defiance of God. And that's exactly what they did. 
this sin sent shockwaves through the cosmos. The effects of their actions are devastating and immediately obvious. Immediately they feel shame in the presence of God, in the presence of the one that they were created to glorify and enjoy forever. Now they feel shame and they hide from God. Now the power of sin is actually in play in their lives, having been corrupted at the core of their being by it. Now, though sin was not original in God's good world, it's now original in us and has been ever since. Not only are we sinful in our behaviour, but we are sinners by nature. Now the penalty of sin is a stark reality. Having tried or attempted to overthrow the true and living God, now we are accountable to the sovereign Lord of all things. And as you continue to read through the Bible, the story of humanity now becomes a tale of sin and its devastating effect. And God's plan to rescue us from ourselves. This story of devastating effects, well, it kind of starts almost immediately, doesn't it? If you've read the first few chapters of the Bible, in the very next chapter, chapter 4, Cain, out of jealousy and envy, kills his own brother. Something has gone terribly wrong. It's no longer a beautiful world. God's good creation is no longer what it was. And from this time on, our biggest problem, friends, is not outside of us. It's not our environment. It's not our, ex- our circumstances. Those, those things are not irrelevant. Our biggest problem is inside of us. Our biggest problem is sin. As Jesus himself says in Matthew 15, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness or lying, slander. It doesn't come from outside of us. It comes from inside of us. The prophet Jeremiah echoes these same thoughts in chapter 17, verse 9, when God says, through him, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? And again, those words in Romans 3, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. And so, friends, what we see here is what we saw earlier in chapter 5, verse 12 again. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all people because all sin. The first thing I want us to see about this topic of sin and this issue of sin today is it's in terms of its reality is that it's universal and it's deadly. It's universal and it's deadly. It's universal in that none of us 
are unscathed by it. None of us are unscathed by it, nor are we innocent of it. The Apostle Paul makes this perfectly clear in Romans again and again when he uses the word all. He doesn't mean all except for Tony Spencer. He means all. When he says all, he means all. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All, everyone, everywhere, throughout all time, universally. All. Universal, it's deadly because it's brought death to us, both spiritual and physical. It's brought spiritual death to us, which is basically the death of our relationship that we were made for between us and God. Sin separates us from him who is our life. And so there's spiritual death immediately. And at some point there's physical death when your time or my time comes. What's wrong with our world today? Sin. It's universal and it's deadly. Now, obviously, for the last 18 months, we've been completely focused, almost totally focused on one thing. I won't ask you to guess because you know what it is. A global pandemic, COVID-19, massive efforts, trillions and trillions of dollars have been spent, all sorts to try and restrain this thing, try and hold this thing back so that it doesn't spread to everybody. But all along, there's been this other pandemic that started with our first parents that has spread to everybody that cannot be restrained, that cannot be dealt with by any of us, no matter how powerful we are, no matter how much money we've got, no matter how much wisdom we think we have. It's universal and it's deadly and we're powerless in the face of it. So what does that say to secular humanism? You know, that there's this inherent goodness in each and every one of us. You know, we just all need to believe and try harder and do better and maybe we can turn this thing around. Uh, what year is it? 2021. How are we going with that strategy? Are we getting anywhere? The evidence would say no. We're not. It's not going to work if we just think we need to pull up our bootstraps and try harder and pull together and maybe we can restore the world. It ain't going to happen because if it was going to, it would have already by now. The other thing this speaks to, I reckon, for us is that the temptation that we have to make light of sin. Either joking about it Ah, so funny. Universal and deadly, friends. Or just minimising it. Ah, oh, you know, we all make mistakes. Ah, oh, you know, there's a few. Yeah, I've got a few issues I need to work on. The Aussie mantra, she'll be right. No, she won't. We make light of the problems of sin in us. In others, in our friends, in our children. Maybe we think, you know, as parenting, if we just do all the right things, you know, if we just have the perfect external environment, then this little person's going to grow up to love and follow Jesus. That just 
completely bypasses Jeremiah 17 verse 9. I know we need to bring outside help to our children in the form of the gospel and the good news of Jesus. And if he changes that heart, yes, we need to have all the other external things as well, but they're not going to do it by themselves. Not for our kids, not for, not for ourselves, not for our spouses, not for our friends. This has a lot to say about evangelism, doesn't it, in terms of what we say and what we try and do when we reach out to people. We're not going to, just come, not going to come to them with another humanistic strategy in Christian clothing. We've got to come with, to them with the message of Jesus, which is the power of God for salvation. Now, we might not do that on day one, but that's our prayer, that we get to do that, get to share and, with them about Jesus and point them to Jesus. This probably has something to say about the practice of sin as well. That, you know, you shouldn't play with fire if you don't want to get burned. This is deadly and universal. And we should flee from it. I've just got a bit of a porn problem. Pretty good these days. I only watch it three times a month. Really? Oh, it used to be eight. That's just one example of making light of something that's horrendous, that's deadly. Oh, yeah, I've got a bit of an anger problem, but I've been pretty good lately. I've kept it kind of, you know, I've only exploded at my wife. Oh, I just, when was it? Oh, last week, yeah. But we've had six great days since then. See how we make light of it? You know, we, we, we balance up what happened with, oh, I've had a good run lately. Can't make light of sin. It's universal and it's deadly and it needs to be dealt with. So three quick truths about sin. This is the reality or the nature of sin. These next things are kind of about how it works out in our lives and particularly what it looks like from God's perspective. The first is this. Sin is idolatry. Sin is idolatry. Many would say that all sin is idolatry and that in actual fact sin is a worship issue. Because whenever sin happens, whenever we sin, we are replacing God with something else or someone else. Let me say that again. Whenever we sin, we're replacing God with something else or someone else. I don't know whether you agree with that sin is idolatry, but I think the Bible would push us in this direction if you think about it. Think about the first commandment. God has rescued his people out of Egypt. He's brought them to Mount Sinai. He's about to enter into covenant, loyal, faithful relationship with them. And this is where it starts. The first commandment. He says, and God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, first thing. You shall have no other, you shall have no other gods before me. And it's legitimate to say that the rest of the commandments are the outworking of the first commandment. All of the rest of that being unpacked. And the rest of the book of Exodus is the ten words being unpacked, which is the first word being unpacked. Sin is idolatry. It's a worship issue. And sin is always idolatry or corrupt worship. And again, it's not accidental, is it? 
Oops. <laughs> Oops. Shouldn't have done that. Oops. You know, I just tripped over. No, you didn't. You chose something or someone over God. It's deliberate. And notice what happens in our lives. Corrupt worship always corrupts the worshipper. Always. And that's what Paul says in Romans 1. He says, For although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him, but they became, here we go, futile or empty in their thinking, though they thought they were wise, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools or unbelieving is another way of saying fools in the Bible. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Sin is idolatry. When it happens, we become futile in our thinking and foolish in our hearts. We turn from worshipping God and we bow down to something he's made or given. The true worship of God is replaced with something else or someone else. That's the first one. Sin is idolatry. Second one, sin, and this is a hard one to face, sin is hostility. Sometimes we think our sin is kind of passive. You know, we're, not, we're almost not involved. There's almost someone else. Almost. Not quite, but almost. But that's not how God sees it. Certainly not how the Bible sees it. Again, have a listen to Psalm 51. David has committed this horrendous sin. He's seen this woman, Bathsheba, on her rooftop having a bath. He's lusted after her. He's brought her into his palace. He's committed adultery with her. She's a married woman. Her husband's on the battlefield. She gets... It would have been fine. It would have been... Nobody would have known, but she got pregnant. Oops. Uh, and then now, now he's got to cover it up. So he tries to cover it up, but Uriah is a, a man of integrity. He won't sleep with his wife when he comes home, so he sends him back out to bat- battle, and he, he orders that the rest of the troops withdraw from him, so he gets killed in battle. So now David is an adulterer and a murderer. So when you say to people, we just need to be like David, be careful. Right? <laughs> there is a lot of ways that we need to be like David, but that's not one of them. So he comes to this point. Nathan, the prophet, comes to him, sent by God, to tell him what he's done. And uh, David is overwhelmed, convicted, weighed down with guilt. And he comes to God and he says, Have mercy on me according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. But notice verse 4, against you, God, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Against you, he says. Really? What about Bathsheba? And what about Uriah? Her husband, is David somehow denying the seriousness of his sin against them? No, not in the least. What's he saying then? Well, he's saying this. What he has done was done in direct opposition to God and in defiance of God. His sin was first and foremost an expression of opposition to God. 
Paul puts it this way. For the mind that is set on the flesh, that is the fallen sinful mind, is hostile to God. Passive. It's no. I will do my life my way. Thank you very much. Again, Colossians. Paul writes to Christians about before they became Christians and he says, and you who were once alienated, so that separation idea from God, and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now, the good news comes after that. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. Sin is hostility. By nature, we are alienated from God and hostile towards him. Not just people who make a few mistakes here and there. Lastly, sin is slavery. Sin is slavery. Again, you don't want to listen to Paul, listen to Jesus. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. This is one of those places where Jesus does that strange thing by using two, truly twice. And it's, I don't think it's because he you know, doesn't know what he's doing and is having a speech problem. It's deliberate. Does that mean the rest of what he says isn't true? The only do the truly trulys are true and the rest is more you can kind of take it or leave it? You know, every word that comes from the mouth of Jesus is true. But this is emphasis. Jesus is ramping the importance up here. Now, I'm more likely to ramp, to downplay the seriousness of my sin and my slavery to it. Jesus is going, no, 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 truly, truly. Everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. Under the power of it. Unable by themselves to break free of it. In desperate need of deliverance from it. Paul says the same thing in Romans 6 when he says, Do you not know if that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one to whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. So just to recap, sin is universal and deadly. That's the nature of it. That's the scope of it. What's it look like in terms of how God experiences it from us? And the last one's probably more how we experience it. It's idolatry. It's corrupt worship. Someone has said you've worshipped your way into sin. You need to worship your way out of it by worshipping the true and living God. Sin is hostility. It's not passive. Not, oops, sorry, bit of an accident, had a bit of a slip up. No, it's hostility. Human rebellion. And it's slavery. If we're not delivered from it, we're enslaved to it. Now, this may sound a bit bleak, I hope you weren't coming today for a super inspiring, you know, go out and conquer the world type sermon. Um, Maybe it will be that. It may sound pretty dark. And I think if we're prepared to go there, 
in many ways it is. It's incredibly dark. It's incredibly bleak. If it wasn't for the good and loving creator that we meet in the first pages of the Bible. And sometimes it's good to see how dark something is because there's one thing that darkness is really good for, right? Providing a backdrop for the light to shine all the brighter. I'm sure you've all had the experience of getting out from the city somewhere in the country and sitting around a campfire looking up. And there's a very dark sky, but there's some beautiful lights in amongst it that seem so clear away from the city. And this is where the truth about sin is a truth that transforms because we have to look at the darkness of it and face it before we can see the brightness of what God has done for us in Jesus. I'm going to finish with a couple of verses, but here's a cracker that I just absolutely love. You know, given all that we've seen, just look at the first half, don't run to the second half just yet. If you, Lord, and that's capital L-O-R-D, that's the God of the burning bush, the God of the Exodus, the great I am, the holy, holy, holy God. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, oh, Lord, who could stand? In light of that, if you were just going to judge us, it's over. We're done. We're finished. We're ruined, as Isaiah says, right? Woe is me. And can I politely say, woe is you? But, look at verse 4. But, but, with you there is forgiveness. With who? The God of the burning bush, the holy, holy, holy God. With him there is forgiveness that he may be feared or loved or cherished or adored or revered or exalted or honoured or glorified and enjoyed forever. His forgiveness not only deals with the penalty of sin, but it restores your corrupt worship. John 3.17. Perhaps you know John 3.16 pretty well. We'll do both. For God so loved the world. What kind of world? An idolatrous, hostile, enslaved world. Not an attractive world. Not a world that loved him. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, should not be faced with judgment, but should have eternal life. For, verse 17, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. 
ah, oh, now I don't want to give too much away. Our topic next week is grace. But we're already moving into that place, right? I'll finish with a quote that you've heard me say before. I think it's such a beautiful place to get to if by God's grace you can get there. And it's to know that you are more sinful than you dared to believe because it's confronting. More sinful. Give it your best shot of thinking how sinful you are. More than you dared to believe. But simultaneously, more loved than you dare to dream. More sinful than you dared to believe. More loved than you dared to dream. What love could remember? No wrongs we have done. Omniscient, all-knowing. He counts not their sum. Thrown into a sea without bottom or shore. Our sins, they are many. Absolutely. His mercy is more. Please stand. Let's sing.